somebody know he's good? And thankfully, it's just not sometimes. It's all the time. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you, as pastor says, why don't you take a moment? You can't shake hands, but we can turn and wave at each other. Is that all right? We can turn and wave, put a smile on your face. Let somebody know you're doing good. You're doing well. If you're in your house right now together, you can smile at each other while you're maybe quarantining together at your house online. You can smile, husband and wife, at each other. That's all right. We won't get mad at you today if you do that. That might even help some things. You know how those quarantines have been going. Uh, I, before we the service um, today, I was looking up online. We had quite a few people already logging in. Maybe some of you know, but there are some people who have had co-workers who have had the virus, and so their whole families have had to quarantine right now. And, and we have some people that are having other issues, unfortunately, and they're not able to join us today. And there's other people that are in that high-risk category, and they want to play it safe. And we totally respect that 100%. We respect that they want to play that safe. And, and they're joining with us today online. And you may not visibly see them here today, but let me tell you, they're in their homes right now, and they're worshiping and, and praising with us today. And, and uh, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And I feel liberty in the house today, and I know it seems like our society has us bound up with fear and all kinds of things, but it's something about when you come to the house of the Lord. And, and, and in, the beautiful thing is, is I know this is his, his house. It is. It's a beautiful place. But it, it says he inhabits the praise of his people. He sets up a dwelling place where people decide to worship him. So maybe you're in your home today, and you can set up a dwelling place for God to come and dwell there. And that can be a place of liberty and freedom from fear and anxieties. And those things right now can disappear. I feel God moving right now in someone's home. Hallelujah. Right now, if you begin, I want everybody to lift your hands. If you can do that in this house and also in your house and at your dining room table, I want you to lift your hands. I want every eye closed in this building. I want every eye closed in your house, in your home, at your dining room table, at your, on your couch while you're drinking your coffee. Lift your other hand. Close your eyes because I'm speaking to you right now where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty mm. your house has been bound up with anxiety with fear your home your mind has been plagued with fear and anxiety you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring you're scared of your health you're scared of your future but the prince of peace wants to step into your home right now wants to step into your life right now and bring peace that passes your human understanding oh I feel God moving in this house today hallelujah Oh, hallelujah. Before this day ends, you're going to be glad you joined in online. Before this day's end, you're going to be glad that you drove to the house of the Lord today because God has something great in store for us today. Not because I can preach, but because He's such a great God. He's such a great God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so I'm going to invite your attention to Psalms chapter 23. Most of you can quote this psalm, but uh, our pastor in his absence has asked me to preach today. Thank you for our worship leaders and Brother Angelo, our musicians, did an amazing job today in inviting God's presence into this house, and that's really all that matters. We're here for one thing and one thing alone, and that's God himself, his presence. Um, keep our pastor in your prayer. I know I could cite a lot of different needs that people in our church have right now, and I'm not trying to belittle their, means, their needs by any means today. I'm not trying to belittle their needs. We've prayed for their needs, and we will continue to do that um, for those needs, but I want to focus on one need today in particular, if that's all right, and that's our pastor and our first lady. And uh, I would like for you to this week in your daily prayer and devotion to call their name. If you already don't do that and that's your practice, that's wonderful. But let's pray for them uh, this week. Uh, spend time. And, and, and can I ask something even maybe a little further? 
for some people. Maybe you could commit a day of fasting for our pastor this week. Is that all right? If, and, and I know that for some dietary restrictions and physical issues people have, they can't fast. Well, maybe you could fast something for him and make that sacrifice and, and that God would move upon them and, and strengthen them. And, and he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly. We're going to talk about that today. Um, again, we welcome everybody that's joining online today. So glad everybody's in the house of the Lord this morning. It's good. I don't know about you. I'm, I'm glad we're able to come back together in the house of the Lord for those that can come and, and worship together. The Bible says you don't need 100 people for God to show up. You don't need 200 people for God to show up. But the Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Well, thankfully, we have two or three in this house today, which is beautiful, because God is here. And I don't know about you, but that gets me excited, to know that God is here, because that's why we came. If you're there at Psalms 23, say amen. If you're not, say, hold on. Nobody said it. Okay, that's good. You can quote it with me. It's a, we're going to read the whole chapter, the entire chapter. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the steel still waters listen to this he restoreth my soul he restoreth my soul he leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake yea though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me Mm. anybody been there these last three months hallelujah Verse 5, thou preparest a table before me in the presence of not my enemy, but my enemies. He brought them all together. (laughs) He didn't just bring one of them. He thought he would bring them all to that table. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Verse 6, surely, (laughs) surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will, I will, I will, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You can make your home a dwelling place for God. A house of the Lord forever forever if you'll join me i want to pray over the remainder of this service and everybody online join us right now put your bibles down let's pray together lord jesus we ask right now that you would enter this house you're here manifest your presence every heart and mind you know their situation you know their circumstance you know what they're facing financially spiritually mentally you know the battles that are represented here in this building and online today I plead the blood of Jesus Christ over every ear that is hearing this sermon. I plead the bread of Jesus Christ over every home today. I speak life. I speak peace. I speak hope. I speak restoration into those homes, into those lives, into every individual in this house today that your perfect will might be established, might be accomplished in this house today. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray it today. Hallelujah. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. The, uh, the simple title of my sermon today is, is this, The Great Restore. The Great, the Great Restore. The word here in verse number three that we find, restoreth, the root word restore there in the original Hebrew is, is shub, is how you pronounce that. It's S-H-U-B, shub. It means to turn back to its original state. To turn back to its original state. Now, if you go look this word up in the English translation here, or English definition, the English dictionary, you'll find it say this, to bring back or to put back into its former or to its original state. 
I don't know about you, that's, that's beautiful. And then we all know that Psalms 23 is an absolutely beautiful passage of Scripture. And I've read it over and over again. It's something about the Word of God. When you read the Word of God, it seems like when you read it year in and year out, it seems like, why should I read that passage again? I already know everything that's in that passage. But it's so interesting that when you read through the passage again, God will bring something new to your understanding and to your eyes that you've never seen before in the Word of God. And, and God has done this for me today. And, and I, wanna, I want to preface this by saying how much God wants this sermon to be preached this morning. God did with me weeks ago before I was even going to be preaching this sermon. And this is what ministered to me when I woke up one morning. And God led me to this passage of scripture, but I've read a thousand times, and, and I memorized it. And when we do Bible quizzing, I think it's the only year I Bible quiz, and I bombed out really bad. But we quiz Psalms, and I did get this one down, partially because I already knew it. But uh, that helped a little bit, right? I, I'm not great at memorization, but I learned this scripture, and so I can quote this scripture. And I heard many of you quoting it, not even looking at your Bible, because it just comes off the, the tongue so easily. And it's a beautiful one. You'll see in people's homes all over the place. It's a, it really is a beautiful scripture. But God led me back to this scripture. And as I began to read it, those four words popped off the page in a way that they had never popped off before in verse number three. He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. You see, the first two verses in this chapter are very easy to read. Let's read them again. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful? It's very easy no matter what state you find yourself at spiritually that, that you can walk with Christ when he's providing everything for you. That's easy. It doesn't matter if your heart is filled with bitterness, malice, hatred, if you have all kinds of envy in your heart, you can walk with God when he's providing all your needs. That's easy. There's, it doesn't take much struggle or difficulty to walk with the good shepherd when he's giving you everything I shall not want. That's easy. You come to verse number two. He maketh me to lie down in green, not just pastures, green, beautiful, luscious pastures. Um, it paints a picture in our mind that is so beautiful on some of these nicer summer days that haven't been so hot when you go out and lay out in that green grass and, and they have a soft breeze blowing across you on a 70 degree day. It kind of paints that picture in your mind. It's so enjoyable and it doesn't take much effort to lie in green pastures with the good shepherd. Would you agree with that today? It doesn't take much effort to lie there in green pastures as the good shepherd supplies all your wants and your needs. That's easy. Anybody in any spiritual mental state could easily do that and would not only do it, but enjoy to do that. Would you agree? And then you go on. He leading me beside the still water. And these aren't gushing waters or, or rushing waters. No, no, no. These are still peaceful waters. So now he's providing everything you need. And you're laying in luscious green pastures with the good shepherd there with you. And then there's this peaceful water sitting there beside you that you can drink from and you can be refreshed from. Again, it doesn't take much effort to be in this particular situation. It wouldn't even matter what state you find yourself in. Whether, whether you have a, a difficulty with fear or anxieties and fast, it would probably help to be in that environment if you're struggling with those things. What, would it, it would be safe to say that anybody in, in a very bad mental state would be fine and could make it in this situation. Would you agree? Anybody struggling even in a spiritual state, this would even be cathartic or it would help them to be in this particular situation. Wouldn't take much effort to be in this situation. But then we come to verse 3. We come to verse 3. And you see that everything in verse 3 and everything following verse 3 is hinging and contingent upon the restoration of your soul. 
everything after verse 3 requires a, con- it didn't say restore, restoreth. You know this, it's a continual restoring of my soul that is required for the remainder of this chapter. If, listen to me, he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. Walking in the right path all the time is not always the easiest thing to do. In fact, in our society today, doing the right thing is becoming increasingly more and more difficult and you're finding more and more resistance doing it. Would you agree with that today? It's becoming more and more difficult to do the right thing and walk in the right path in our wicked, perverse society that we live in today, which is more evil, unfortunately, than probably it's been in a very, very long time. And so you can probably agree with me on this. To be able to walk through that path and those paths and to walk in those paths and to continually do the right thing over and over again, it will continually require a restoration of your soul as you face that continual adversity. Will you agree with that today? He restoreth my soul so that I can walk through those paths of righteousness. Verse 4 says, this is the difficult one. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. See, you will not go through the valley of the shadow of death. And if you do go through the valley of the shadow of death and your soul has bitterness and malice and hatred, that bitterness, malice, and hatred will eat you up alive in that valley and it will destroy you. That valley will crush you if your soul hasn't been restored. If your soul has not been restored back to its original state or design that God purposed it for, where there is no malice, no bitterness, the valley of the shadow of death will crush you under the weight of that valley. So the valley of the shadow of death you will destroy you or it will make you, and it all hinges on whether or not you allow God to restore you. See, verse 5. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I would love to have God prepare a meal for me. I've had some pretty decent meals in some good restaurants before, but I can only imagine how good the meal would be that God would prepare and sit on the table before me. Would anybody eat that meal if God put a meal on the table before you? Anybody? Anybody eat that meal? Right now, you're ready to eat a meal. He said, hurry up. Let's move on. You're ready to eat a meal right now. Maybe miss, miss breakfast. I don't know, but... Listen, if God put a meal on a table, I would be the first one there. It would be me, and I would eat everything I could possibly fit into my stomach. I might even gorge myself at that table, but the caveat in this scripture is not that he prepares a table and and food on that table. It's a beautiful table and puts it there, but he puts it in an environment that's so difficult. He brings all of your enemies to the table. People that have backbited you. People that have stabbed you in the back. People who have lied on you, cheated you. And he brings them to the table. Then he prepares the table. Now you want to tell me that if your soul's not restored and that bitterness isn't gone, that hatred isn't gone, that envy isn't gone towards your enemies, you won't even be able to digest the food. You won't even enter the room unless your soul is restored. Back to its original state. Everything in this chapter hinges upon, after verse 3 and in verse 3, hinges upon the fact of your soul being restored. You'll never make it from verse 3 to verse 6 unless your soul is restored. See, listen, verse 6 is wonderful. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. See, today when you walked in the house of the Lord, mercy and grace came following you right on in. 
mercy and grace came tracking you right on in. See, the thing is, people that leave this house today, that leave this house not being restored to their original intended purpose, it is not on God that you are not restored. It is, not, it is on you for not accepting the mercy and the goodness of God into your life today. See, God longs to restore us. He gives us everything we need for complete and total restoration. But it is up to you to receive and participate and engage in the restoration. That's why David said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. And if I allow it to restore me, then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know about you, but I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It may not be a physical house, but I want God to take up residence in this house right here every single day for the rest of my life so that he can continually restore me. Even though I walk through the value valley, he can restore me. Even though I'm battling enemies and adversities, he can restore me so that I can make it back to his house once again. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, we serve a God who loves to restore. We serve a God who has such a great desire to restore. Hallelujah. Mm, hallelujah. There's this series that me and my wife have, have watched. I, I, I enjoy old cars. I never, I, I'm not a mechanic. I have no idea. Probably can't even change out of a headlight on a car. Uh, in fact, I just had my car out of the mechanic. And... And charged me an arm and a leg. No, it was pretty good. But uh, I just, I, I have no idea. I don't even attempt it. I don't even attempt to try to do it. But there's this, there's this man in Canada has over a 100-acre property there. And he is retired. And he has a series. And he restores old cars. And uh, what he's done is his entire life is he's went out and he's found old cars through his entire life. And he'll buy the old car. And he'll go and throw it in the back of the field. A 100-acre field. Excuse me. And he'll go and throw it in the back of the field. He did this his entire life. And so now he's in retirement age, and he has a dream. He wants to fulfill his dream. He wants to build a shop, and he wants to restore these old cars. And so this, this man, that's what the, the series is all about, is this man, older man, he's a little bit weird, off edge. He has a white guy with long dreads that come past his waist. He's a, he's a little bit different of a guy, but, but he, he has this desire to, to restore all these cars that are packed out in a 100-acre field, packed out there with all these old cars, you name it, and he has the car out there. In fact, people know that he has so many old cars. They'll come by and say, do you have this car? He says, I got it. They have this car? I got it. You have this car? I got that car. It's back out in that corner. He knows where they are. He's not cataloged them. They're all overgrown with weeds. You don't even, you can barely even see them. They've been out there for so long. They're covered in rust. They're covered, they've been beaten. I mean, there's pieces missing. They're missing their bumper. They're, some of them are missing doors. Some of them have no wheels at all. And if they did, they'd be rotted to the core. I mean, this guy has left those cars out there forever. But he has a dream. And his dream is to restore these cars. And so this series goes through and, and shows the process of him restoring these cars. He has employees that work for him. He started a company, built a shop on his 100 acres, started a company. He has a son, his son that works for him and one of his best friends that works for him. They're all mechanics and they do restoration. And what he would do is he would walk out back down the field and say, today I want to restore a car. He would walk out back down through that field and he would find an old Chevy Chevelle, beautiful old Chevy Chevelle. And, and, and it, it really didn't look beautiful, to be honest with you, but his son would look at him and say, don't restore this car, Dad. This thing is a piece of junk. 
It has so much rust. It's covered with weeds. It's missing all of its wheels. It doesn't even have an axle, Dad. What are we, and it's riveted with rust. What are you thinking? And then his buddy, his buddy, his best friend will say, yeah, he's right. What are you doing restoring this car? That's stupid. He said, I want to restore it. No, this is going to take us too much, too much time. We're going, to, we're going to waste too much money. It's going to just be too much of a sacrifice. No, I want to restore the car. You see, he walked out into that field, and what the great restorer sees is not what everybody else sees. See, the great restorer, in his mind eye, he sees that car in its original state. And because he has a picture, when he first saw that car years ago, that picture is ingrained in his head. He remembers what that car originally looked like. Its original state was so perfect, so beautiful, so enticing that he can't wait to do whatever it takes to get that car back to its original. Everybody says it will cost too much. It's not worth it. But he says, I want to get it back to its original state. He walked out in that field with a picture in mind and everybody else told him that you shouldn't do it. Can I tell you about a great restorationist who will walk across our field right here in Aloha Beaverton and he sees cars that are overgrown, are bound by things that rust in the weatherization of time has destroyed the core of them and he looks at them and you may look at them and say, it's not worth it. I wouldn't invest the time or the effort, but the great restorer looks at that car and said, just give me a little time. I'll bring it back to its original intended design and purpose. You may look at people on the side of the street and say, there's no good here. There's nothing here of any value. But the great restorer walks across that soul and he says, I see endless value. I see endless potential. It's so priceless in my eyes. Just give me some time with it. Give me some time with it. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're online. And life has beat you to pieces. You're bound. I mean, I'm telling you, you watch that show, and there's, there's weeds growing over it. They have to chop even trees out of the way to get these cars out. It's been years. 10, 20, 30 years the car's been sitting there. you got to chop the trees. you got to cut and pull back off the weeds. And the, the thing is, is that that car, a lot of times doesn't even have wheels. It can't even get up to the, up to the shop by itself. So somebody... Somebody had to go down into the field. Somebody had to go into the field and say, I'm willing to make a sacrifice. I'm willing to go put in the effort, the time, the prayer, the fasting, the travailing. I'm willing to go into the field and cut some things back. I'm willing to go into the field and pull them out and get them back to the Father's shop, get them back to the house of the Lord where my God is able to restore them back to their original value, original purpose, original calling, original design. I'll pull them out, he said. So they go get that truck and they'll hook a chain onto that frame and that big old truck, they'll floor it and a lot sometimes it won't even move. Because it's, so, it's been beaten up and covered by life. So they have to go cut it back. And they'll stomp on that gas again. And finally pull that car loose. And they have to drag that car up that 100 acre field to that shop. 
When you get it up there, it doesn't look good. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? When you, get, when you get it up there, when some people came into the house of the Lord, it didn't look good. When some of you came into the house of the Lord, it didn't look too good. When some of you walked in the front doors of the house of the Lord, I mean, even you were shaking your head at yourself, saying, I don't know about this one. But see, even when everything was cleared away, it still had a lot of work to be done. And again, I, I can see episode after episode in that series. I, his son, once they get it up to the shop, his son will look at him and get so mad. He is so ticked off at his dad because he knows how much work he's going to have to put into that car because what his dad decided to do. That boy will say, Dad, this is dumb. What are you doing? You know how many hours I'm going to have to put into this car because you decide to drag it up here to the shop? And his friend's like, come on, this is, this is ridiculous. What are we doing? You have other cars out there that would be easier to restore. Can I preach? There's other cars out there in that guy's mind that might be easier to restore, but not in the mind of the great restorer. There's other cars that in your mind, well, if we could get that one, if we can get that attorney, or we can get that doctor, I'm not saying they don't need salvation, but you see, the great restorer may look at somebody that you deem has no value, and he sees endless potential and value and purpose and calling and anointing. See, we don't always see the way God sees. We don't always look through the way we should do it, and I'm preaching to myself now. We should see through the eyes of God, but we don't always do that. And so... Years of weatherization, storms come through that valley. He lives in a beautiful valley in Canada. Storms come through there. It gets chill and cold in winter, crazy cold in winter. Extremely hot in summer, perfect condition for restoring cars. Just amazing condition for restoring cars. And leaving them out in the field for 20 years. No, sarcasm, it's, it's bad conditions for cars. He brings that car up there. In the beginning, they pull into the shop and they lift it up. And there's dents in the doors, if there are doors. And they take hammers and they start beating that door and shaping it back to its original purpose. Shaping it back to the original design that it was supposed to have from the beginning. It lost somewhere along the way, which we know who to blame in this situation, put it in the back of that field and it stayed there. And it lost its value sitting there dormant all of those years. And so now they begin to work and they begin to sand back the rust and they, they begin to cut out pieces and replace them and weld in new pieces and sand those back smooth. And, and when they're done with that side, I'll look at that and I'll be like, how did they do that? It looks like one cohesive piece of metal. I don't know how they cut that piece out, put a piece in and sanded that back so smooth. And they'll take a camera and they'll shine it right across the edge of that car and it's smooth as butter. And you would never know they cut out pieces of the metal and they welded this here and that there and they sanded that back and they'll show just the, the perfect contour of the, of the curve of that old metal Chevy Chevelle. They'll, they'll see the perfect contour and you it just blows my mind. How do they do it? How do they get it so perfect? They were willing to take the time. They were willing to go into the shop and invest themselves into something where no one else saw any value. Why? Because they love to restore. We are children of our heavenly father. And if his spirit in, is in us, we should have a hunger and a desire to restore souls. To restore souls in our family. To restore souls in, our, in the house of the Lord. To restore those that may have walked away and walked astray. We should have a desire to restore them. And bring them back to their original design, purpose, calling, and anointing. You see, 
I think one of the most beautiful things about this restoration, I never thought about this. I really just enjoyed uh, the series, and that was it. That was the extent of that. But when I read this scripture and I kept reading it, God brought that series to my mind and said, hey, that guy loves to restore cars. And I began to think, man, how much does it line up with who our God is and what scripture teaches us of our God? You see, what was most amazing to me in, in, in this story is in these series is that this restore in Canada of, of, of antique cars, he, when he was done restoring, what was so amazing is that the car had more value than what it originally had, fresh off of the assembly line. It was so amazing to me how, how these cars, when he would sell them, would go for 10, 20, 30 times their original value. One car went for 50 times its original value. How? How did this restore bring it back to such a state where it wasn't just the original state? He didn't just bring it back to its original value. What he would do is, when he would go in there and begin to restore, you see, they didn't have V8 turbo twin engines 50 years ago. But they got them today. And what that guy would do, he would take that huge engine and plop it down in that car, that massive engine, and when you would fire that thing on, for a five block eight radius, you could hear that baby echo. It would echo when you would push and rev that engine. Echo and, and scream through that whole entire valley because 50 years ago, they didn't make those kind of engines, but they do today. And so what the great restoration has decided to do is not just bring that back to its original value, but when he brings you back, he'll make you greater and more valuable than you've ever been before. I wish somebody today needed a restoration for your soul as he's in the house today. I know we've been through a pandemic. I know you've lost things and you may have lost relatives but I'm talking about a God that won't just bring you back. He'll make you more valuable. He'll restore it ten times everything you lost. Look at the life of Job. It was ravaged. It was torn to pieces, but when he was done, he had more children. He had more flocks than he ever had before because, my God, he knows how to restore like nobody else knows how to restore. It's no wonder that Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 9, the thief comes but to kill and to steal and destroy. So you think in the world, I think I'm preaching to someone online, I don't know, you think in the world that they're out to help you, they're out to, and this isn't everybody, but listen to me, it's the spirit of the world that I'm talking about. You, th you think they're there to help you, you think that young man that's using your body is there, is there just to be good for you and, and help you get further in life? Let me tell you, baby, if he was there for you, he would have put a ring on you a long time ago, but there's no ring. You want to know why? Because he came to use you and... Oh, you don't think I'm right, but you need to listen to this young preacher. He came to use you, and when he's done with you, he'll throw you to the curb and find the next. But Jesus said, I came to give you life. But he didn't stop there. He said, I came to give you life more abundant. I'm not going to bring you back to your original state. I'm going to make you better than you've ever been before. Life more abundant through Christ Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. 
my God will not leave you where you are. That's not his nature. That's not who he is. He will pull you out of that pit and he'll make you something that you never thought your life could be. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sad to me when I see people that I grew up with in the church walk out the doors over the years and I look at their lives now. And they've been ravaged. They got kids from two or three different people with two or different people. Two or three different people have kids by two different people. Their homes, if they even got a home, some of them, one of them I know, I ran into him in downtown Portland. I can name his name right now and half of you would know who he is. I grew up with him in our Christian school back there. He's homeless, living downtown Portland. He could barely carry on a conversation with me because his mind had been blown on drugs. Tried talking to him about Jesus. Tried sharing with him the love of Christ. Tried telling him, man, you, you can get out of this. Things can be better. Gave him my number. I never got a call, never got a text. He wouldn't give me his number. But I look at their lives. And I can't help but tears come to my eyes. Because if they only knew how much God desires to restore their soul. If they only knew the love of Christ. If they only knew what peace comes when his spirit fills your life. But their mind is in such a state they can't even remember those moments when there was peace flowing in their homes, flowing in their lives. They can't remember the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, because it's been their mind is so gone. But I'm telling you today, I have two sermons to preach, and this one I woke up this morning, and I have a daily devotional book, and I have two of them. I read different ones. And Max Licato's daily devotional book, it's a beautiful, quick devotional for the day, and I haven't read it in two days. And so I was just going to go back and read the original devotional for two days ago and, and go from there. And God quickened me and said, no, I want you to read today's, the 16th devotional. I opened up that book. The title across the top said this, God sees your value. And you tell me God's not trying to speak to somebody here today. The title, I didn't even read anymore. My eyes filled with tears. Right across the top it said, God sees your value. I could have read two days ago, and I would have missed that for today. Right across the top, God sees your value. Because you see, people in the world, they see you for how they can use you. It's the spirit of the world, not everybody in the world, but the spirit of the world says, I, how can I use you for my benefit? The corporate world is the same way. How can I use you? And many of us have been victims of that at our own companies, people stepping on your head to get above. The spirit of the world, how can I use you? to benefit myself. But when the, the great restorer looks at your life, he says, how can you use me to make your life have more value? Now, some of you don't agree with that statement. I know I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, mm, he is a new creature. Paul writing to the Corinthian church, he is a New. He says, listen to this, old things are passed away. All that, that shrubbery and all that debris and all that rust and all that failure and all those addictions and all those anxieties and all those fears, Paul said those things are now gone when you come into relationship with Jesus Christ. All things become new. 
Behold, all things, the old has passed away and everything's new in Christ. Mm. See, what, 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 do you, what do you think Calvary is all about? You want to know what Calvary was? It was God standing on the precipice of eternity and looking out across humanity and he said, I think I can restore that. You didn't get it. He stood on the press. He could have walked away, created an alternate universe with a different humanity that was designed different and left you in your chaos and sin. But he stepped out on the precipice the precedence of eternity. He looked at humanity and said, I think I can restore that. I think I can bring that back to its original designed purpose and calling. And so in 1 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy. He said, listen to this, Timothy. And without controversy, this, without controversy, without con there's nothing more controversy, nothing. Great is the mystery of godliness. Listen, God was manifest in the flesh. The greatest thing, as the greatest mystery in all humanity, is that God stepped into flesh to restore humanity to its original design, purpose, calling, and state, and function, and purpose. Oh, when God stepped into that flesh and walked among men, he knew what he was in for. And in so much that scripture tells us that the angels marveled and they wanted to look into it because they really can't comprehend the experience that comes through that process of death, burial, and resurrection. The angels couldn't really understand it and the angels wished to look into it, but they can't. Scripture tells us even the angels stood there with God in heaven and their minds didn't understand before he ever went down into Mary's womb and robed himself in flesh and came out on the other side and died on the cross, the angels were marveling. What's happening? Why would God do such a thing? He's infinite in knowledge, wisdom, power, and, and riches. Why? Great is this mystery, Paul said to Timothy. Why? It doesn't make sense to me why God would go so far for something so fragile, so decaying, and seemingly did not want him anyways. And so God allowed humanity to use him to benefit them. The spirit of the world is that they want to use you to benefit them. But God said, I'll allow humanity. Hence, he hangs on a cross with nails through his hand. Blood coursing from him, a spear in the side there, spitting on him, cussing at him, mocking him. And he's allowing you. He, he could have called 10,000 angels down in that moment to deliver him from that cross. But God said, I'm not done restoring. I have to finish the restoration process and bring it back to its original intended purpose. Mm, hallelujah. Damien, come, come give him some mood music real quick. Listen to this. I'm, 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 I'm coming to a close. Believe me, I'm giving you hope today. Hey, listen, we have one service a week, people. Luke chapter 15. What do you think this story is about? You know it as the prodigal son. I know it as a father who's obsessed with restoration. No, 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 that's not the way I heard that story. I heard it in Sunday school. It's the prodigal son. Son comes back home, yep. The real story is about a father who's obsessed with restoration. How do you know that? You see, that father will look out across that field every day looking for his son to come home. His son used his dad's spirit of the world, used his dad's money, and ran away 
and used it to live the high life. You want to bet that a man with that prestige doesn't know what his son was doing? Didn't have people telling him, your son's in the city doing this, that, and the other? You want to bet that, your, that that dad didn't know that that son wasn't in the pig slop, eating pig, sty food, whatever you want to call it? That dad knew exactly where his son was, but he was waiting for his son to realize where he was. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. You don't have to go there, Brother Sherman. Don't go there. I mean, I want, I'm citing the whole chapter. We're not going to read the whole chapter. But I, I want to give a word that God gave to me right here. And I know it may seem off topic, but it joins in with what I'm saying right now. A lot of times, the only reason, only way prodigal sons and daughters will come to themselves is if they are by themselves. Go read Second, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, the whole chapter, two times. Paul tells the church, those brothers that walk disorderly, not after our traditions, and they have walked away from the truth, don't have fellowship with them. Don't go where they go. Don't do what they do. Because you're making them think that everything they're involved in is okay. And what's going to happen is you won't win them. They will win you. You need to hear this word of the Lord. I'm, I'm speaking to some. Maybe it's online, but you need to hear what God gave me. You will not win them. They will win you. I'm not saying don't pray for them, don't love them. When they text you or call you, you talk to them. I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying we don't go to the bar with them. We don't go down the street wherever. No, 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 we don't do those things. Um, you love them. The love of Christ should be ever imminent towards them in our lives. But I'm saying Paul implores the church, do not go and be involved with them. I'm talking especially to teenagers because they are so influenced right now. Listen, if those people that are walking disorderly after the flesh are trying to entice you to go where they're going, you better put up a wall. And I may be talking to parents, you better put up a wall of prayer because your teenager may walk out the door because you were sleeping during a pandemic. I know it seems hard, but I filled it in the Holy Ghost for two weeks. That Two weeks, God's put that on my mind. Somebody in this house, unaware, young person, let God restore your soul. The prodigal son comes walking up. And he was thinking, the prodigal son, you know the story, was thinking, if I can just get to my dad's house, I know I could be a servant. I could, I could clean the pigsties there and at least get paid. And so he comes walking off and the father's out there in the field looking out across the horizon and he sees his son's head. And the father didn't step back and say, well, I, you know what he did. You know he was out there messing up my good name. He spent all my money that I gave him. He messed up everything. He ruined the city. Everybody thinks we're horrible people. The father didn't, the Bible doesn't record the father having one of those thoughts. But the father, because his heart was filled with restoration and a desire to restore, the Bible says he ran. He ran towards his son and he fell on him and began to kiss him and began to hug him. And I'm sure the son was thinking, why would my dad ever do this? He should be ashamed of me. He should be punishing me. He should be yelling at me. But that was not the father's heart. Can I preach to somebody today? The father's heart was totally on restoration, and that's it. There was no other thought in the father's mind that I desire to restore my son back to his original state. All those years of walking that field, looking out across the horizon and never seeing his son. All the time of sitting on the deck and dreaming of the day that he could restore his son. And yet his son never came until that day. And that father went running across that field. And he fell on that son. And he began to kiss him and say, welcome home. I've missed you. I've longed for you. 
I've desired you in my life once again, son. He said, go slay the fatted calf. I'm sure if I was that son, I'd be thinking, but dad, don't you know what I've done? Don't you know where I've been? Don't you know the addictions that I've had? Don't you know the failures of my life? I'm sure that that son was thinking that because I would have been thinking that. But the father said, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I only desire to restore you back to your original purpose and design. So he pulls that son into the house and they slay the fatted calf and he puts the sunly robes back on him and they strike him a party and they party all night long. Why? Because the father desires restoration. Oh, can we all stand in this house right now? When every eye closed in this place, I feel God's presence so heavy. If you're in your house right now, I want your eyes closed. And can we lift our hands in this house today? Some of you during this pandemic have been beaten to shreds mentally and spiritually. Storms of life have just ravaged your home. Spirits have tried attacking you spiritually and even mentally. And you're standing here today and I'm seeing the glaze across some people's eyes. I'm not condemning you. I'm letting you know what's happening in the spirit realm. But God is saying, I desire. I desire to restore you. Back to your original calling, purpose, and design. I'm telling someone here today that in your home where you're sitting and in this building, God, the Restorer has stepped into this house and He is right with you now. If you're a guest listening online or you're in the house today and you want God's Spirit to come and restore you, listen, Acts 2.38 makes it very plain. It's a scripture of restoration, bringing you back to your original design. Then Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of God's Spirit. That peace, that joy, that long-suffering will enter into you today by the evidence and the knowing of speaking in tongues. So right now in your house, in this building I want you to lift your hands and I want you to just say I love you Jesus. I long after you Jesus. I desire you restore. I desire you Father. I want you today more than anything else. This sermon is not for one person but for every person in the house, every person online. God has just stepped into your home. Lift your hands and love him today. Lift your hands and love him today. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Get your mind off your problems. Get your mind off tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. Right now, his presence is here, and some of you have been needing a restoration for far too long. It's been a while since you pushed into the Spirit. It's been a while since you've really spoken in tongues. It's been a while since you travailed. It's been a while since he's restored your soul. (laughs) 
Somebody reach out and touch the Lord. Don't let him pass by. Oh, somebody reach out and touch the Lord. For he's my comfort and he always holds me close. Oh, I, I'm pleading with somebody. Take a moment longer and love the Lord this morning. Seek after him with your whole heart. With your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't leave this place without being restored. Don't leave this place without being refreshed. Don't leave this house without letting God's Spirit wash over you like rivers of living water flushing through your spirit. 